Jump to your feet if you're able. And just go and fist bump, high five, hug, kiss, don't be inappropriate. Five people. Five people. Wonderful. Wonderful. Great. If you want to find your way back to your seats, that would help me. Thank you. I was counted a privilege to be able to open the Bible um, in the context of a gathering like this. And uh, it's also a joy as well to, on occasions, be invited to go and preach elsewhere. And last Sunday night, I was um, in a pioneer context, um, similar to the Mansfield journey in terms of length of time. And they're just about to embark on planting again into the other side of Nottingham. And uh, it was great. It was absolutely fantastic. Loved being with them. But I want to say there's no place like home. There's no place like home. I was just thinking that. I thought I really enjoyed it. But I love, I love preaching in this church. I love this church. I really do. And uh, as I say, I count it a privilege. We continue in our series, um, which is our, part of our vision um, aim of standing out and shining, and if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you've been away for a couple of weeks, I just encourage you to go to the reception area downstairs and collect a a vision bag. It will have a lot of information in there that will help you. Three particular goals that we're really wanting to pray into and work into around seeing people come to faith and then be discipled. Once see small groups multiply, once see our community initiatives just extend and be influenced in Jesus' name. And part of the journey of standing out and shining is that uh, Phil last week um, just brought a great message um, about the thought of being a stranger. If I can say this, this is just my introduction, uh, introductory comments. If you were not here last week, I would encourage you to um, go onto the website, Arena Church website, and just uh, listen to last week's podcast. Um, it was exceptional. Uh, I must have quoted them five or six times. He spoke about strangers not being comfortable with sin. How easy that can be for every one of us to become comfortable with sin. We automatically go to something big sin, you know, glaring sin, but actually there's some attitudes that we can all have that are sinful. We need to deal with them. Strangers are not compatible with the values of this world. We're different. And strangers are not confined by time. I need to say this. I will at some point go and preach this message elsewhere. Okay, I just need you to know that, Phil. Um, And I have his permission to be able to, because they're just brilliant, brilliant points. 
And, uh, yeah, we need to make sure that we're not going to the same places. Okay, then that will be, that will be great. But I just encourage you to listen to it. 1 Peter 1 and verse 1 says this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, some versions say exiles, other versions say strangers. Everybody say strangers. Everybody say strangers. So he's saying, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to, and he's writing to God's elect, strangers, exiles, who have now been scattered across the province, provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Peter is writing to people who know Christ, and he's labeling them strangers. Some of you here know Jesus. And I want to say you are a stranger in this world. Don't misunderstand us. We're not asking you to be weird and strange. We're not asking you to do outlandish things. We're not asking you to dress in a strange way. We're not asking you to talk in a strange way. In fact, probably Christian people have have acted like that and it's put people off. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But we're strangers to this world. If you are not a Christian here today... You are part of this world, and I want to encourage you to come with us on the journey of becoming a stranger in this world. I'm going to give an invitation at the very end of my message. And when I think about strangers, there's two particular stories that come to mind. First of all, there's one story. I remember when I was 18, we moved with my parents down to Milton Keynes, and I was working for TSB Bank at that point. Lloyd's TSB now gone back to TSB. And uh, I was at a branch in New Allerton, just the other side of Mansfield. But I was transferred down to the branch in, in Milton Keynes in a place called Wolverton. Most of you will never have heard of it. And I was a cashier. That was my principal job. And just as a result of me being there for a year, they, they realized I liked talking with people. And there was a big, bit of a sales drive. And so they encouraged me to go on a training thing with regard to selling. And that's what I did for a little bit part of my time. And of course, with the cashiering and with the selling, you got to meet all kinds of people. Some of you have worked in banks. Steve's worked in banks. And there's others of you have. You get to meet all kinds of people. Bob's been in the financial service. And you get to meet all kinds of interesting people, don't you? You know, those who have been sales assistants and whatever. And some of the people who were in the bank were downright horrible. They were rude. They were arrogant. They were dismissive. Particularly if somebody like me, a young lad, just handing the money. You know, it's not right. Everything was wrong. They were moaning about everything. How long they've been queuing up. How long they've been waiting. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you're one of those people, you're not being a stranger. You're being blending in. We need to stand out and be different. That's a challenge to me because I moan about traffic. I moan about standing in queues. Caroline tells me all the time, just chill out. Have a bit more patience. That's why I've got a good wife who just says those things. Anybody, any husbands know what I'm talking about? Any wives know what I'm talking about? Any ladies know what I'm talking about? Give me a wave if you know what I'm talking about. It needs to be a little bit more patient. And so anyway, I'm in the bank context. I don't want to take too long with this story. And even though I'm already taking a lot of time. There was a lady by the name of Miss Collier. I remember her. I remember her name now. I, I, would, I would know her if she was here. She's probably not alive now because she seemed quite elderly then. So I'm going back a good 25 years. Miss Collier was a spinster, never been married. And Miss Collier used to come into the branch and she was different because she never complained. She always had a sweet attitude. 
And she always spoke. She always was, was always pleasant and nice. And we used to comment on her, the cashiers, the staff. And one occasion, I remember she needed sorting, I can't remember the specifics, but she needed something sorted out in her banking. And so you took them to the office. And I took her to the office side and just began to work it through. And in the matter of conversation, don't ask me how it got there, but it came out that I was a Christian. And guess what? She was a Christian. And it was noticeable. That woman, when I decided, you know, there was about, I'd only been there a year, and then God had really laid on my heart to give a year up. I thought it was just going to be a year to go and serve the Lord, as in, in what I'm doing now. And 20 odd years later, here I still am doing what I'm doing. I literally thought it would be a year, and then I'd go back to the bank. And I remember her knowing about this. And she came to me one time and she said, Christian, would you be able to just call at my house? She lived in Wolverton, which was a bit, probably, you thought at that point, strange. I didn't think it too strange because I got to know her. She said, I just want to give you something. I remember going and knocking on her door after work one day, and there she was, Miss Collier. Opened up the door. She had a gift for me. I think it was some chocolates or some sweets, which was very nice. And then she gave me a card. And then the card uh, was, a, was a check to help me, to support me over the year. She was a stranger. I was reading last night about another stranger who I don't know, a man by the name of Truett Cathy, who's now in heaven, is now in the presence of God. You see, because on one hand, we have a lady who really didn't own that much, and she wasn't particularly out there. She was never famous. She wasn't particularly known, but she was a stranger. But then there's another man, and if he was in North America now, if you said the name Truett Cathy, most people would know what I'm talking about because he was the founder of a brand called Chick-fil-A. As a result of his pioneering endeavors in, in, in terms of a chicken bun restaurant, they now have over 1,600 restaurants across North America. Truett Cathy died reportedly to be a billionaire. But interestingly, he was a stranger because he's the only person who they'd ever come across in a fast food environment that would pay if he knew that it was a kid who couldn't afford to go to college. He would literally, from the company, pay for that kid to go to college. He sponsored 16,000 students to go to college sponsorship. He also has foster homes. He also has homes that he developed. He died last year. And he was reported that he was granddad. That's how he could describe himself to over a thousand grandchildren because he put them through his foster care. And he knew every one of them by name. And they called him Granddad Truett or whatever they called him. He, he and his wife just loved. He wouldn't buy a new car. Nothing against a new car. I've had a new car once. So this isn't a dig at anybody or anything. But he just determined that a second-hand one would do fine. Wanted a nice car, but he got a second-hand deal. So he didn't want to waste his money. And he just determined that he was going to give his money away. They, they, they say the multiple millions that this man had given away. In fact, most people in the business world, have anybody ever heard of Warren Buffett? He's probably one of the wealthiest men in the world. Made an endo- wrote an endorsement, said, I've never known anybody like Truett Cathy. Not only did he talk about this, he demonstrated it. What am I talking about in being a stranger? And by the way, he's a Christian guy. For 50, 60 years, he taught Sunday school to 13-year-olds and never stopped right up until he was in his 90s. Never retired, just continued to do what he did. What I'm talking about is, is strangers. 
You see, you may say, well, it's easy for that rich man to be, you know, kind. But no, we're talking about Miss Collier, who had very little. But she was a stranger. That's what we wanted to talk about today. About how we can be strangers in this world. I want to say the first thing is this. I've got two main points And they just gel together. So just go with me on this. The first thing I want to say is this. We become strangers because of everything Jesus has done for me. I'll say that again. We become strangers because of everything Jesus has done for me. He says in Romans, and we may have it on the screen if we can, Olivia or Eleanor. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you're new here today, I want to just try and help you to understand what happened. And if you are a Christian here today, I want to just lay this in again. You may say, this is so basic. Yeah, but if you will allow the words over these next five minutes for me, what I'm about to share, something's going to wash over you yet again. Because we should be living with overwhelming gratefulness to God. Because our lives were like this. Andy alluded to it. There's man and there's God. And there was a dividing wall. There was separation. It's called sin. All the stuff that we've done wrong. And there was really no way back to God. And God was desperate to connect back with us. I want to say God is desperate to connect with you. If you're far away from God, you may say God's got no thought of me. You couldn't be further from the truth. That's the lie of the enemy. You're on God's mind. He wants to connect back with you. And he provided a way through Jesus, and we'll come on to that in a moment. But there's this wall of division, and it was created by all the things that we've done wrong, which I've mentioned, sin, lies, cheating, anger, violence, adultery, pornography, lewd behavior, gossip, jealousy, drunkenness, envy, idolatry, selfish wants, witchcraft, all about me. Do you want to put your list there? Because these were some of the things, not that I've done all of them, but certainly some of them I've lived in. The Bible calls it sin. It's just sin. It's the things that create the separation. And instead of us coming closer to God, these make it wider. We go wider. And so we fill our lives with stuff that we think is going to help because the world tells us it's going to live. Don't they? They say, drink as much as you want and you'll feel good. Well, that's great. You do while you're doing it. But anybody ever had a hangover? Anybody here ever had a hangover? Anybody? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. So I know some of you are telling fibs. You don't feel good the day after, do you? People have got caught up with, I'm going to just talk, it's sexual impurity. It's great when it's happening, I'm sure. But what about afterwards? When the guilt begins to rest and settle in your heart. What's even worse is when that guilt isn't even there. It's just what you do. There's all kinds of stuff. Gossip. Feels good at the time, but when you really reflect on it, you've just bitten chunks out of somebody. And then guess what? What normally happens if you're a gossip, somebody's gossiping about you. And then that upsets you when you hear what they're saying about you. There's all kinds of stuff that happen in our lives, that we do in our lives. What I'm trying to say is that we all do them. We all do them. The Bible says that if we think we're without sin, we deceive ourselves. We say we we haven't sinned, we deceive ourselves. 
So what is the answer? Because that doesn't look like a great picture for me and a great illustration. But I said to you, strangers are strangers because of everything that Jesus has done for them. And this is where the good news comes in. Because people say, well, what did Jesus come for? Well, he was the Lamb of God. Not a literal Lamb, but he was the person. He was without sin. The Bible says he was without sin, without fault. He'd done nothing wrong. And he knew what he came for. His mission was to die for you and for me. That was his purpose. My purpose this morning was to communicate a message. The guy's purpose this morning was to lead us into the presence of God. We've got Hank and the guys, Neil and the others, down on the car park. Their purpose was to shake hands and to greet cars in and to make sure everybody was happy. The purpose of Jesus for coming was to die. Nobody took his life. He freely gave it. And he did it because he wanted to bring, bridge the separation between God and between man. There was only one who could do it, and it was God coming to earth. Fully God, fully human. And he came to earth to defeat all of this stuff in our lives. And to give us a brand new start and a brand new way. He did it because he wanted a, a people to be strangers in this world. He wanted to, uh, you, you and me to stand out and shine. He wanted us to be different in this depraved world. And it's very depraved. And it's very dark. But people are wanting to know what the light is and what life is all about. And so we see that Jesus came. And as a result of Jesus coming and dying for us and then rising again on the third day, he gives us new life. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone, everybody say anyone. That includes everyone. Have you got it? There, if anyone, that includes everyone, is in Christ. The new creation has come. What basically happens is this. God comes to our life. It's an act of faith. It's a free gift of grace, free gift of mercy. That God just comes to us in our depraved state, in our brokenness, in our mess. And we embrace him. We embrace this Jesus. And Jesus comes And what he does, I don't know how he does it, but he does it. He takes away all the guilt of our lives. He takes away all the mess. He takes away all the pain. He takes away all the hurt. And he begins to put us back together again. It's a journey. It's a process. So it's like Linda who came to faith. She responded to Jesus. She asked Jesus into her life. And at that moment, Jesus responded and walked here. We often use the phrase here, come into my heart. You know, I understand that, but he just comes and does something in our souls, that which makes us us. And it says there that Jesus comes and we become a new creature. We, be, we, we think differently. We act differently. We behave differently. We walk with a lightness instead of a darkness. We have a new life instead of feeling like we're dead. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you was like walking, but you were dead inside. You might feel like that this morning. There's hope because Jesus came for you. And you become a new creation. We are strangers because of what God has done for us. Galatians, sorry, Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 8 says this. For it's by grace you've been saved. 
through faith. And this not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Then he goes on to say, not by works, so that no one can boast. Some people are trying to get to God through the things that they do. So they give some money to, to, to a charity, which is very good. They're kind, which is great. I meet a lot of people who are not faith people, who are lovely people. They really are. In fact, some of them put Christians to shame. But deep down in their heart, they've never responded to Jesus. And so at the end of the day, they, they don't know Jesus. And when either Jesus comes or as they die, where are they going to be? And that is my purpose this morning, is to try to communicate to a church and to people who may be visitors here today, that God's heart for you is for you to know him. And it's a free gift of grace. And you have to receive it by faith. You may have lots of questions. I still have lots of questions. But by faith, I've received Jesus. Strangers recognize everything that God has done for them. Have you got it? Strangers are marked. They are marked by God. So we are strangers because of what God has done for us. And as a result of Jesus touching our lives, we are marked by grace and mercy, which then flows to others. We have a thankfulness, a gratefulness, an appreciation of life and all that he has done for us. How appreciative are you? How grateful are you this morning? How thankful are you this morning? Because it leaks from our lives. And we can often get mumbling and groaning and moaning and everything else. But I want to tell you, because of what Jesus has done, we need to get up grateful. It might be raining outside. I'm speaking to myself now. It might have been snowing over the last few days that I'm not keen on. I want the sunshine. Caroline keeps telling me off. Stop doing that. You're wishing your time away. I know, but I just, no, 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 I'm not listening to you. La, la, la. But it's just true. We need to be marked by a gratefulness. Jesus has taken your life and has redeemed your life. He has taken you from that pit and put your feet firmly on a rock called Christ Jesus. Strangers know this. But then strangers are marked by another thing. Because I want to just lay this in. We are strangers because of everything Jesus has done for us. But hear me and don't mishear me. We are strangers and we become strangers because of everything I now do for him. We are strangers because of everything I now do for him. I want to take you, if you've got your Bibles, and I want you to just run with me. We're going to have it on the screens. But Galatians in chapter 5. Galatians in chapter 5 and verse one. Please just turn with me. So I just want to read through this very, very carefully. It reads, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So Paul is writing and say, Christ Jesus came into the world to make us free. We now have freedom in Christ. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a, a yoke of slavery. What he's basically saying is, you are made free, so do not give away your freedom 
cheaply. Strangers know that they are free and are determined not to give away their freedom cheaply. I'll come on to how we do that. Let's go to verse 7 of Galatians. Because the whole chapter is worthy of a read. But because of time, we'll just run on. He then goes on to say, so there's freedom that's offered, freedom that's yours. But then he says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? He's talking to a group of churches here. And he's saying to them, saying to them guys, you're free. Don't give yourself up to all kinds of bondage again. And then he goes on to say, you were running so well. You were doing so well. You were running so hard. You were running so straight. You were doing so good. But now you're deviating. Who cut in on you? Who got you to the point where they were whispering in your ear to go this way, to go that way? Because guys, it's going to take you down the wrong path. Stay the course. Strangers know that Jesus has done a work in their life. And then they determine that they are going to do everything for him. This is where responsibility comes in, guys. Because there's a responsibility. Don't want to jump too far ahead of my notes. To live according to the Bible. Verse 9. It shows how it works. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. You need to put a little bit of yeast to affect the whole dough, don't you? And that's like our lives. We can fill ourselves, well, it wasn't too bad that I just, I'm only, I'm only talking with this person about that person. And we only spoke for a minute or so. But all of a sudden, there's a yeast of gossip that's beginning to work in our lives. That film that's certainly got a little bit of nudity. It's all right. We're okay. That little bit of nudity begins to work in all of our hearts and it begins to affect the whole of our lives. Well, I only got angry once But that little bit of anger that's not dealt with becomes a bigger anger because it's now running through all of our lives. A little bit of yeast works through the whole batch of dough. But let me just move you now to verse 13 and verse 16 because these two verses are pivotal So Paul then goes on to say this. So he's making the statement, you've been called to be free. Don't allow anybody cutting on your journey. It happens through things just being incorporated and rising in your life. And then he goes on to say, you, you, brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. I've heard many Christians say, Well, I'm saved and I'm free and I can really do what I want and Jesus will forgive me at the end of the day. And that is true to a point. But Paul is addressing a particular theory and thought that was running through the church here because basically they were saying we're free. 
we're free to do what we want. And Paul makes the statement. But then they were basically saying, but actually we can do what we want. That is not strangers talking. That is people who are blending in. Listen, we're called to be different. I know you love it when I rock and roll and laugh with you and all the rest of it. And I'm all for that. And if there's a joke that drops in, we'll go for it. But listen, this is a tough message because God wants us to live free. He wants us to stand out and shine. He wants us to be strangers. And we can't be saying, well, I'm free, but then I'm going to do what I want, how I want, and behave how I want. Because Paul says here, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. And that's what it is. Let's be honest here. Who likes their flesh being indulging? Yeah. No, come on. I'm a... We all do. Because there's something in built in us that it goes to, it runs to us. And how we indulge the flesh can be in different ways. I like eating. But I've been reading through Proverbs that actually I need to be very careful. So it's just a particular point that you can eat it. You can have too much of something, too much of a good thing. You can eat too much honey. It's not good. That's how I indulged. Comfort eating. Boredom. Oh, I'll have some more food. Caroline gets that nice meal going. (laughs) Seconds, thirds. I'm not against eating well. Talk about my particular thing is the indulging of the flesh. Some of you have gossip problems. That isn't my particular bag. I'm not a gossiper. Never have been. Got no interest in gossiping. But some of you do. And so you feast at the table of gossip. And you have your fill of it. And then guess what? You pig out a bit more. Because it's comfort gossiping. Because it makes you feel better when you're gossiping. I'm just being straight with you. Some of you tell lies. You're prone to tell lies about everything and everyone. Picking yourself up. What are you doing? You're eating at the table of lies. Some of you like going down these. I don't need to eat all all the sins. But Paul is saying, let's not go back and indulge our flesh. Because we live in this life of freedom. We called, he's saying, the call here from Paul is to stand out and shine, guys. Saying, church, stand out and shine. That's what he's saying. We know we're never going to be perfect, but our hearts is we want to stand out and shine for him. We want to be strangers in this dark world. You may say, well, Christian, this is so tough. It is. And that's why the next verse is just as pivotal as verse 13. Let's go to verse 16. Because he then says there, so I say, in fact, we'll read this together after three. One, two, three. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we want to become strangers in this world, we recognize it's everything that Jesus has done. But then we also recognize it's everything I now do for him. And that means to say that I'm not going to allow anybody to cut in. I'm not going to allow the yeast to rise in my life. I'm not going to use my freedom in a blasé way. And how is this all going to be possible? Through a recognition that we need God. And Paul says this is possible as we walk by the Spirit. Anybody, anybody, any Strictly Come Dancing fans here? 
Jump to your feet, Caroline. This is where it gets fun. Okay. We're not going to do a dirty dance, by the way. Okay. You're not, we're not, we're not. Awesome soulstering. But listen, we're not dancers. But I understand that you've got to keep in step with the spirit. Okay. Oh, sorry. Keep in step on the dance floor. You can see I'm not that good. Let's go this way. How do we do that now? Do I? Oh. Very masterful. Okay. Okay. You've got to keep in step. I should have had die here, actually, but it probably wouldn't have been right, me dancing with die like that anyway. You've got to keep in step with the Spirit of God. I want you to just have that as a visualization, not how poor I was. But that's as simple as it gets. Every day, God, will you just help me to live this life? I want to live free. I want to be a stranger. And I can only do it as I walk in the power of the Spirit. Because then it goes on to say, I love these verses here. So I say, walk thy the Spirit. And then what does it say? And you will not. Have you got that? And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. We had the opportunity through Steve of having Andrew Sherman through, the brother of David. Use this story of because he runs a, a, a training, discipleship training program in Spain. One particular occasion, he said, I had a young guy come and talk to me about a lust problem that he had. And he says, and I was just talking with him, and he said, he said, I said to him, you haven't got a lust problem, you've got a Holy Spirit problem. He says, you haven't got a lust problem, because actually, if you were full of the Holy Spirit, you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That changed the way, that was back in the summer, that changed the way I was thinking about all kinds of things. <laughs> my problem is not a lust problem. My problem is not a lying problem. My problem is not a gossip problem. My problem is a Holy Spirit problem. He's not got enough of me. So I need to be inviting him to everything in my life. Are you hearing me this morning, Arena? Five of you are. Are you hearing me this morning, Arena? If we want to be strangers in this world... If we want to be strangers, we need to be full of the Holy Spirit. I heard this this week. I'm nearly drawing it to a close. I've just got four things that I just want to headline. It says there, this is a good, good quote. Phil passed me a, an article by Leonard Ravenhill, a prophet, teacher. He's now passed away, born in Leeds. Incredible mover and shaker, well connected across the world and just an incredible article of what he saw. And he says this, Are the things you, you are living for worth Christ dying for? I'll say that again. Are the things you are living for worth Christ dying for? I have a feeling that statement was written by a man who was a stranger. He didn't want the things of this world to have him. All he wanted was God to own his heart. And so if there are things that we can now do for him as strangers, let me just give you four things. I've already highlighted the first one. You can tell my points aren't as well structured as the Bible teacher on the front here, but we'll go for it. First of all, Living God's strength. Living God's strength. You can't do it on your own. You've got to do it with the power of the Spirit. 
You want to be a stranger. You'll try and do good works. You'll try and, you know, <laughs> you've got to invite just simply Jesus into my day. Jesus, just help me this day. Help me to have a better attitude. Help me to have a better attitude to that husband, that wife who's doing my head in. Help me to have a better attitude to my boss who I don't like, who doesn't treat me fairly and kindly. Help me to have a better attitude to him. Help me to not be going down the route of gossiping when they're in the offices or in the school playground or on the phone with my friends talking about this and that. Help me to be strong and just say no. Help me to stop from flicking that computer on that's not going to fill my mind with good stuff. So I say live by the Spirit. The second thing is this. We have to do it. If we're going to live as strangers, we do it in God's strength and we do it under the submission and obedience to God's Word. I'll just drop this in and we haven't got time for it tonight. We may open it up tonight actually. But 1 Peter is an amazing book about the theme of being a stranger. And in there he talks about submitting and obeying to the Lord, to the Lord's authority, to your bosses, and to one another. If we want to walk as strangers, we need to learn to walk with submission and obedience. And that is something that does not come easy in this particular Western culture in the United Kingdom. But it's something we're going to have to learn. Submission and obedience. Thirdly, we've got to understand if we're going to walk as strangers, we need to live with self-control. Galatians 5, read on from the chapter. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit being love, joyce, joy, peace, not joyce, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control. If we want to live as strangers, we need to live with self-control in all areas of our lives. Then we'll stand out and shine. And the last one, and I don't want to labor it here because of time, is I believe that what we can do for him is we need to take, listen to me, I've left this to the last, take responsibility. I hear far too many excuses coming from my mouth to God and to others. Not putting it on you, from me. And guess what they are? They're excuses. That's all they are. They're excuses. We're full of excuses. And if you're pretty good with the gift of the gab, you can make excuses about everything. Some of you have the gift of the gab here. And you can make excuses about everything. But it's time for no more excuses. We have to take responsibility. As I close, you've heard me say this before. One of the things, there's been many things I've had to work through on my Christian journey. Like I said to you, I've not been a gossip, but I've struggled with eating too much. And, uh, you know, Caroline said to me last night, we're just had a conversation and she says you've always had a kind heart and I hope that's been true but the other side to me is I have quite a temper if things haven't gone right and my parents are here I was renowned for it and that can manifest itself still in in a variety of ways 
It's never violent with me. Please never misunderstand me. It's never violent. But I get so worked up. And I justify my temper by what that's there. And, and then the other way I justify it is, well, and I don't think my mum would mind saying this, but it runs through her side of the family. I'm being careful, and I'm being very respectful, but it runs through her side of the family in that my granddad had a radical conversion. He was about in his late 30s. Well, he died when he was 40, so he was late 30s. Had a radical conversion. And I don't think my mum would mind me saying this. I haven't asked, but he, he would be violent. So he would knock whoever was there in the way. Bang! And I know that was a culture of the day. But it's not a right culture. Created a lot of fear in the kids. Well, five kids. And it wasn't great. He had a radical conversion. I never met him because he died. He had a brain hemorrhage suddenly. But his life dramatically changed, didn't it, Mom? They, used to, they couldn't believe the change that was made in this man's life. But it obviously ran through the temper. That's what I'm trying to make. So I could say, well, my granddad, and they, they often say I'm like my granddad. So he had a bad temper. My mom doesn't have a bad temper. She can get annoyed. <laughs> my dad might say she has a bad temper. I don't know, but anyway. But it runs through the family. So what I'm saying is we make excuses. So my mum overshopped, and I now overshop. And that's just what happens. This one did this. I now do this. And my kids are going to do this. Or we've had conversations about this at staff meeting. You know, the A-type leader. Well, I'm choleric. And I just tell them as it is. And I get stuck in. Oh, that's bad behavior. Sorry. It's bad behavior. If it doesn't flow out of Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's bad behavior. And the bottom line is this. We've got to take responsibility. If we want to be strangers in this world, we've got to learn to take responsibility. Let me close by saying this. The opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. I say that as I close because I think we have a, an opportunity here of a lifetime. That is to make a difference wherever we are. To leave a legacy on our kids, our grandkids. To leave a legacy on our streets, on our estates, on our towns and our cities. I really do. But it must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. Too many good people have died, and they have been good people but they've been making excuses. They've been taking responsibility. Yeah, they know Jesus, but they're not really being a stranger that stands out bright in this world. We're calling you, church. We're calling you to the journey for us all to be on the journey of being a stranger that shines bright that others will see and they will glory in our God because of what they see flowing from our lives. I wonder if we bow our heads for a moment.